Hi, this is Edge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. And will you please uh, welcome the man who knows, who's covered murder mysteries, American civil rights movement, food in uh, short pieces and long, and he also wrote a brilliant novel about parking in New York City. Will you uh, please welcome Calvin Trillin to West Coast Live. Thank you uh, for, for stopping by. Taking a bicycle, take any chances as a bicyclist in New York City? No, I'm very cautious. Um, actually, it's a good place to buy. It's, it's uh, topographically Manhattan, um, you know, the state it most resembles is Nebraska. It's, it's absolutely flat. That's a, an association I'm sure New Yorkers like. Well, <laughs> I'm from Missouri, so it's, um, it's, it's sort of a concrete prairie as far as hills goes. And, and uh, I've been riding a bike in New York for, I guess, 40 years probably, and uh, I haven't shifted gears yet. Um, <laughs> I really literally been in the same gear the whole time. Which, which is that? Which you find good? The, the good gear. You know, <laughs> the and you, you're riding with a helmet, I'm pleased to see. Yes, my daughters have become very strict about my helmet, and uh, they have people all over the city to drop a dime on me if I'm seen without a helmet. So I have a helmet, yeah. I wonder about that phrase, drop a dime. That used to refer to making a payphone call, which are tough to find nowadays. People, people have got cell phones. How, how do you drop a dime on a cell phone? I don't know. I, I, these people would report me one way or another. They would... <laughs> An email, drop you in, yeah, drop an they email. Would, they, would, they, they would text message me. Right. I saw a bicycle the other day. It was, it was a kid's bike, a little, little tiny kid's bike, training wheels on it. It had the largest lock and chain on it around that post I'd ever seen. And then there are these strange sights of just a bicycle tire or... Yeah, I, I don't understand that. that uh, my bike, I, I don't think I'd really have to lock my bike. Um, it's a really pretty, pretty awful looking bike. And... Um, I tell people that underneath my bike is a $3,500 Italian racing bike, but it's very hard to tell. And, and there's a security ratio that I think the intellectuals call the um, uh, chain-schleppiness ratio. Uh, the, the, the heft of your chain uh, compared to the schleppiness of the bike. And um, I have a pretty hefty chain and a dreadful-looking bike. Yeah. Well, that, that says that uh, you have confidence, I guess, in the chain and also the good-natured citizenry of, of New York City. Right. You, you, uh, you've also the highest paid poet per word in uh, The Nation magazine, and you often run politics. We have uh, coming up a major sporting event on Tuesday, uh, and I wonder if you have any sort of words um, <laughs> about this. Um, I'm actually the highest paid poet in the country. Well, in the country? The whole country. Because I get $100 no matter uh, how many words I write. Um, and, and most poets are paid by the line. Yeah. So if I write a four-line poem, I'm, I'm the, the New Yorker is the highest paying per line magazine at $10 a line. I That's always, it? I always say you can see why there's not a huge crowd in front of the poetry booth at the career day fair. Right. <laughs> um, the, the, um, I get $100 no matter what. So, for instance, and, and 
So when I want to get that buzz you get from working at the top dollar in your field, I, uh, I write a two-line poem. Like, uh, like when, when uh, George Bush's uh, college transcript was revealed in the 2000 campaign with no apparent effect on the campaign, um, I wrote a poem called Obliviously On He Sails with Marks Not Quite As Good As Quails. Um, the, you got a hundred bucks. Fifty fifty dollars song. Fifty dollars. That was a fifty dollar line poem. Um, I've I've had a little trouble with the candidates. Um, I am concerned. I mean, people have various concerns in this election. My concern is that politics has been attracting people whose names are not good for rhyme or meter. And and um, uh, McCain is a good name. He's not as good as Ross Perot. A purely iambic and and well-rhymed candidate. Um, Obama is a problem because I used up a lot of those rhymes with Osama bin Laden, uh, Yokohama, slap your mama. Um, well, there's a campaign button I saw that said, "Stop the drama, vote Obama," and that was made up by some kids in Illinois, I guess. I might steal that. Well, that's about fifty dollars right there. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Um, and and the um, the Republicans are not Mitt Romney. I'm happy to say, I actually brought a, a, a couple of Mitt Romney poems along. Would you like for me to read one of those? Mitt Romney? Sure. Uh, what, do you, what do you what do you do with your old Edwards and Giuliani material? Um, I'm happy to see the back of Giuliani. To tell you the <laughs> truth, I I, I was. What was this, the headline I saw here? You know, Giuliani wasn't a bad rhyme. Uh, Edwards was not good. Um, here's, a, here's something called uh, Mitt Romney as Doll. Uh, yes, Mitt's so slick of speech and slick of garb, he reminds us all of Ken, of Ken and Barbie. So quick to shed his moderate regalia, he may, like Ken, be lacking genitalia. <laughs> Ken or, uh, or Oscar. Yeah. Here's a, actually, here's a Giuliani poem. Oh, right. It's got a long title, but it's only four lines long. It's uh, $25 a line. Do they, do they include the title? No, in the, no. Uh, no. Title, I, I, don't, I just throw in the title. <laughs> um, a little lanyap. Yes. Pat Robertson, protector of traditional family values, endorses Rudy Giuliani, a serial adulterer who's pro-choice and does not think that people tolerant of gays should be destroyed by hurricanes or other natural disasters. That was the title. That's the title. Uh. <laughs> oh, it was free. It was absolutely free. <laughs> Do politics mandate strange bedfellows? Sure. So Pat's for a person whose views he'd disparage. Yes, politics mandate strange bedfellows? Sure. However, where Rudy's concerned, so does marriage. Oh. Um, you don't, you don't think that's one he clipped out and put it on his bulletin board as a refrigerator? I don't, I don't know about that. And then I, I think I should read one Democratic poem. It's, this is called, uh, He's Just My Bill. <laughs> a reprise of the show classic is sung by Hillary Clinton after the South Carolina primary. Along came Bill. 
he wouldn't shut his trap. He yammered at the church and at the shopping mall. He tried to knock and mock Barack, and all that palaver just turned off the voters. But I will not say, oh, Bill, please sail away. He just may still draw voters my way in Super Tuesday's votes. If so, he's still my Bill. <laughs> I, w I was just pleased that, that the governor of Illinois decided not to uh, enter the race, Rod Blagojevich. I mean, he was my nightmare, to tell you the truth. Uh, uh, and you use up, you know, rhymes, and uh, Bush is not a good rhyme. Bush uh, sounds easy, but, it, but it, it rhymes with a tush, but um, it's disrespectful. I never, I never use that. Uh, he, he did do me some favors. He, he appointed Alberto Gonzalez which obviously rhymes with loyal uber alles. Uh, uh, but um, in, in general... Do you use that or you just write it out? No, I use that. Yeah. It's too late now for Gonzalez <laughs> rhymes. Gonzalez rhymes are, are uh, on the remainder shelf at this point, yeah. Uh, and uh, was, was Nixon somebody that, that, that could be rhymed? Were you writing poetry about Nixon? No, I... I um, I started writing poems uh, with the other Bush in, in the White House. And he, uh, fortunately, he had a lot of middle names. So you could rhyme. Uh, when he left, for instance, I wrote a poem that was, Farewell to you, George Herbert Walker, though never treasured as a talker, your predicates were often prone to wander nounless off alone. <laughs> You did your best in your own way, the way of Greenwich Country Day. So just relax and take your ease and never order Japanese. For those who may remember that uh, sushi experience. So the, uh, the uh, elections coming up, that's of course you know, a big topic. Parking is, is another one. And I read in, in the, the city's newspaper, the New York Times, one of the city's newspapers, that uh, in Berkeley, California, where we sometimes do shows, a protest group has gotten a parking spot for six hours once a week. They, they won't get a ticket for overtime parking in front of the Marines recruiting station in Berkeley to drive them out. Now, it seems to me that Berkeley being a, a place of, of free speech, that why, why would you do this? I mean, I don't know. I well, say, could you imagine New York doing the same thing, giving parking privileges to a protest group out of... Well, they, they wouldn't give privileges. They would ticket the guy every hour. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, in Bo somebody in Boston, when I was touring with that, that book, um, which I'm not here to boast, but I believe was the first parking novel, um, uh, somebody in Boston said that there was tradition in Boston that if it snowed and you shoveled out a spot, that you could put a chair there or something and hold the spot, that it was your spot that you would shovel it. And I said, in New York, that's firewood. I mean, there's a... <laughs> but there's been a movement now where people will, will put out lawn chairs and tables and lamps in a parking spot, kind of yeah. take back the street. Yeah, that's wrong. Um, <laughs> that, um, parking, uh, speaking for parkers, um, and doormen try to do that in New York. They say, they paint their, their curb yellow 
and uh, try to tell you it's no, it's no parking, but it's not no parking. And uh, uh, the rich people are just going to have to crawl over your car. Uh, <laughs> because a spot is a spot, and it's, it's holy. I was uh, very interested to read that some of your uh, travels of, for in search of interesting food took you uh, once as far as Hong Kong, where you found yourself mulling, considering eating very strange parts of creatures. Um, yeah. Um, again, um, I'm, I'm, I didn't come here to blow my own horn, but I think I was the first person to say, dear penis on national television. Um, uh, That's not D-E-A-R. No, no, D. <laughs> it, it wasn't an epistolary reference, you know. Uh, it, it was D-E-E-R, dear penis. And, and I was on some television show, I can't remember which one, and the host said, have you ever eaten anything rather strange? And I said, well, in Hong Kong once, we went into a restaurant feeling rather adventurous, and they had on the menu double-boiled deer penis. And I thought about ordering it, uh, but then I was afraid they'd bring it to the table, and I'd take a look at it and say, why don't you take it back and have him boil it one more time? <laughs> is, that, is that the sort of item that you could find in, a, in, in one of the Au Courant restaurants here in New York? Uh, no, you, you, but there are a lot of... of items that you used to think that weren't here that are here now. I mean, duck tongues, for instance. Um, you probably didn't even know ducks had tongues. No, I can't even imagine how what their size is. I thought they just kind of vocalized kind of a quack. It's a smallish tongue, <laughs> and not much of it is edible, I would say. Um, so is this a flavoring? No, yep. you get a whole mess of duck tongues and eat them up. No, it's a plate full of duck tongues. It takes a lot of duck. Yeah. I don't know what they do with it. I, I always thought that making shrimp pate out of those little shrimp livers is pretty amazing, too. They can do remarkable things in Chinatown. <laughs> um, they, they can, and they even have a bus service. It's something you ought to see while you're in New York that, that all the college kids take that goes to Boston for, I don't know, $20, unless there's a price war on it, it goes $10. Uh, Washington, I mean, the, it, and then you can go, there's a bus that goes back and forth from Manhattan, Chinatown, to Flushing, Chinatown, it costs $2. Uh, probably probably serve duck tongues on the way, throw, <laughs> throw in free duck tongues. You could have, I, w I imagine, additional duck tongue dumplings, which if you've had enough sort of rice wine or something, might be tricky to yeah. say after a while. Duck tongue dumplings, no, I think. Well, uh, any of any plans to be back on the New York stage, doing a, doing a, a one man show? Not to toot your own horn. Um, no, I I think that I'm I'm through with that. I'm I'm just I'm just sorry I didn't buy a smoking jacket during one of those runs. I mean, I <laughs> could see myself. And the nice thing that you know, I had a show. It was in the bottom of the uh, uh, the American Place Theater, which is way downstairs, uh, the the main auditorium, and. Um, one of the advantages of my show is if, if there had been a nuclear attack, uh, we would not have been affected at all. I mean, the... the still be running. Oh, the audience and cats would be incinerated. Yeah. We, wouldn't even, we wouldn't even know it happened unless try try to get a cab when we got out. Um, and it was over at 9.30, so you could get uh, into any restaurant. Uh, it was... It was um, and I found it was uh, sort of interesting until I did two weeks 
uh, runs of e each time I did it. And um, it's sort of interesting for about 10 days. And then I found that I was saying more or less what I said the night before. <laughs> and I found myself sort of thinking about other things while I was talking, like picking up the laundry and stuff like that. I've, I've heard that actors in the middle of a Shakespeare play doing the same thing for 20 nights start, you know, ruminating, going through their uh, uh, the shopping list. Right. Yeah, I mean, you, you do the, the, all that stuff that piles up, always called in our house administrative caca. Um, <laughs> That, that piles up and it's in your mind. And, and if you're saying the same thing over and over again, it just comes out in front. You know? do, you, do you think that way when you're riding your bicycle? Do you, do you allow your mind to drift as you're just going through Nebraska the East here? <laughs> I usually, uh, well, I, I ride my bike in two ways. I, I use it for errands a lot. I'm, I'm often, I often go to Chinatown to pick up soup or something and wander around. And then I go up the path on the, on the Hudson, which has really been a great enhancement to the city. And when I do that, I, um, I listen to something on, either on the radio or... or uh, I, my, my daughters have just given me an iPod, and until then, I was, I was making do with a uh, cassette tape recorder. And um, they decided that I was embarrassingly primitive. And so, Dad! Dad, right. Uh, but I, my, the iPod they gave me uh, has television on it as well. Oh, good, good for bike riding. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. You kind of hold it out in front, and and uh, uh, theirs um, don't have television. So I said to one of my daughters today, "You people are so yesterday." Uh, I mean, you're walking around in 1958. Um, but um, so now I'm going to start doing. Um, I've got all these downloads. I could I could listen to. You have an iP uh, a podcast. Yeah, we we could we could get you the show. Yeah, that'd be great. I appreciate that. Calvin Trillin, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. You're listening to this special audio highlight from West Coast Live on this podcast. For more information about the show and to sign up for our mailing list, wcl.org. You ready for some poetry? Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the. Uh, the first fire of uh, deciding the next decider, author Calvin Trillin, to West Coast Live. There you go. Without trying to date you one way or the other, do you remember where you were when FDR died? Absolutely. He was the only president I knew. I was I was in I was uh, in grade school, but I remember standing on the. Playground when he when he died. He literally, I I didn't know there were other presidents. Yeah. Uh, there's certain things in your childhood that, for instance, I grew up in Kansas City, and um, we didn't we didn't have any segregation signs, but it was segregated, and um, the black high school was called Lincoln High School, and the um, black movie theater was called Lincoln movie theater, and I always say that I had to get to the East before I understood that Lincoln was actually a president. I, I thought it meant colored, as we would have said then, right? Um, so those things sort of stick with you, yeah. What was the other theater called? Oh, we had a lot of, the whites had a lot of theaters, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, uh, this uh, campaign was extraordinary in, in so many ways, uh, and across the, the poetry that you've written, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, there are some of the short poems, 
short verse that would uh, be appropriate for the nation, but this is really kind of a, uh, a longer narrative, uh, Homeric in a way. I think Homeric's a good word to describe it, yeah. Um, I was trying to look up and see what the scansion of this was, if I was trying to understand what, what your verse structure was. Even scansion would be a good word. I'm <laughs> not sure what it means, but it's a good word. Um, epic would be a good word, sure. Um, you might mention Beowulf while you're in there. Uh, John Stewart did that the other night. Yeah, Canterbury Tales yeah, would Canterbury be good, yeah. 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 Any of those. The Kalevala. Yeah, sometimes they say to English professors, uh, Chaucer and Trillin and that crowd, you know, right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, so uh, so here's, I mean, you've, you've, you've had the story of like, I mean, a number of governor's tales in here. There were certainly a number of governors that tried to go for this uh, high office in the land. Yeah, I mean, George Allen, um, uh, well, he was a senator now that I think of it. Uh, the governor who I was afraid might come to the race was the governor of, governor of Illinois, and I discouraged him because his name is Rob Blagojevich. And it's not an easy name for a poet. Uh, <laughs> uh, when you think of scan and rhyme, uh, I, I actually uh, uh, accused Senator Clinton of being insufficiently iambic at one point. <laughs> and she was present at that occasion, and this was publicly, and she came up to me afterwards and said, well, I've been called a lot of things, but... <laughs> So that one really cut. Insufficiently iambic. What, when you, uh, so President-elect Obama has got Clinton in the cabinet and Gates in the cabinet. Uh, have you used up all those rhymes? I mean, would you, wouldn't you have liked different people in the cabinet for, for new rhyming possibilities? Well, that's a good point, because you, you use up rhymes very quickly. I mean, I used up a lot of the Obama rhymes with Osama bin Laden, like slap your mama. And um, the band would have known about that phrase, slap your mama. You take, one, take one taste of that, you go home and slap your mama. Um, southern phrase. Um, uh, and I used, uh, when I thought, uh, everybody thought uh, Mario Cuomo was going to get reelected governor of, uh, of New York in his uh, last term, and then, and then he was, so I used up all the Pataki rhymes uh, during the campaign, uh, Rocky and, and Tsukiyaki and with Al D'Amato as your jockey. And, um, and then he became governor and lasted for 12 years or something like that without... Uh, yeah, I think it's very interesting that the, the new Obama um, is now called Lincoln-esque to have a team of rivals and gather things, but I remember in the late 60s that was called co-optation. Um, <laughs> And uh, remember, uh, Abby Hoffman said the reason he stayed in SDS so long is every time they said co-optation, he thought they were saying copulation. <laughs> and, and I thought it was part of a policy of SDS. Yeah. Yeah. That's of course. Of course. Well, we'll, we'll see what happens to the cabinet. I mean, here's one, uh, Obama rising. Uh, maybe you could read uh, Obama rising. Um, you want me to read the whole thing? or I'll well, Just what you think of the best bits, then. Oh, the best bits, okay. Uh, what if there aren't any good bits? I, maybe the whole thing is the best bit. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, he had, they said, no end of times to run. In 2012, he'd be but 51. According to a largest, long-established tenant, he should mature for years yet in the Senate. Producing legislation to trickle, some Senate members don't mature, they pickle. 
Obama thinking time would not improve the chance he had resolved to make his move. He went to Springfield where he could invoke the spirit of Abe Lincoln as he spoke to thousands cheering in the bitter cold. He may have been by many fans extolled, but pros said it was still a long shot bet to think the nominations what he'd get. When faced with Clinton's powerful machine, they said he might collapse like Howard Dean. Experience was what he seemed to lack. And to be frank, they pointed out, he's black. <laughs> so in the, in the hindsight of uh, the poet historian here, I mean, it's, uh, it's one where you could see that he, in fact, was the one who developed a very powerful machine. Yeah, he's from Chicago. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why anybody thought he wasn't going to have a ground game. Um, 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 I was also, I found that for the first time uh, in my uh, rhyming career that Chicago uh, rhymes with Iago. Um, I didn't think it rhymed with anything. Um, yeah, he was, he was a long shot. You know, you, I can remember when uh, the person who they thought would get the Republican nomination was George Allen. Remember him? Uh, Makaka George Allen. Um, yeah, it caught on the YouTube, uh, caught him putting his derogatory And, and uh, I think uh, the couplet about him is uh, he fits what's often valued by the right, quite cheerful, Reagan esque, and not too bright. Um, uh, and then there's, a, there's an embedded poem near him to the, uh, to the tune of Hambone called YouTube because I think the Makaka event was the first time you realized that we were playing by different rules. Everybody had uh, a recorder or a cell phone camera or something, and, and so people could be shot down for infractions they didn't know that they committed. Uh, you, when you say embedded poem, that means that within the longer narrative, you've got these little kind of uh, sides, but you call them embedded poems. Yeah, the longer epic narrative, I think, would be good, or, or Chaucerian, or... Homeric. Or Homeric, yeah. Actually, we, some of them are songs. We could probably do some songs. I think one time I was here, Mike played the songs as, um, as we read them. I did, uh, and you did them in a sort of parlando, which was sort lovely. Parlando that was sort of like Rex Harrison. Right, and, yes, uh, sort of right. singing and yet not singing. Right, right. Well, I, I don't know, do you know O Tannenbaum? <laughs> Mike Huckabee, Mike Huckabee, your numbers just keep soaring. Mike Huckabee, Mike Huckabee, it's Romney, you are goring. Though Mitt is rich and Mitt is slick, he's wondering, who is this hick? <laughs> Mike Huckabee compared with thee, Mitt Romney is so boring. <laughs> There's actually a, a Sarah Palin song here. It's actually a, a, it's an adaptation of a Barbara Streisand standard as sung by Sarah Palin, and it's called On a Clear Day, Icy Vladivostok. <laughs> On a clear day, Icy Vladivostok, so I know world affairs. Don't say no way, though I know elites mock. It's osmosis that does it. Well, that 
and our prayers. And Joe Biden sees New Jersey from his shore, and it's just a state that doesn't rate. It's me who knows the score. On a clear day, on a clear day, I see Vladivostok and Novoskoversk and Krasnoyarsk and Novokutsnesk and Omsk and Tomsk and more. <laughs> Calvin Trillin. His new collection called Deciding the Designers. Uh, so you have uh, some of these embedded poems, uh, McCain and the Lobbyists, Management Styles. I mean, uh, a smear cheer from Michelle Obama is performed by the Swift Boat Singers. What was, uh, what, was, what was the tune for this one? Oh, that was, that was, some of them are just uh, made up, like there's a hymn when the, uh, when the Christian uh, right preacher still didn't like John McCain called Sweet Jesus, We Hate Him So Much. And, <laughs> and, and there's, there's a country song about John Edwards called, Yes, I Know He's a Mill Worker Son, But There's Hollywood in That Hair. Uh, <laughs> Uh, those don't actually have any tunes, because I can't, um, and there's some of them that are just poems. There's another one about uh, Mitt Romney that's saying, uh, yes, Mitt's so slick of speech and slick of garb, he reminds us all of Ken, of Ken and Barbie. So quick to shed his moderate regalia, like Ken, he may be lacking genitalia. <laughs> um, Then there's uh, Samuel, the Samuel Coleridge homage here, the rhyme of the ancient candidate. Uh, you'd know at once that I'm not some liberal elitist. I'm just a beer and burger guy who finds a cookout neatest. Yeah, uh, what page? Uh, that's 86. Uh, yeah, that's, that's after he was asked, um, John McCain was asked how many houses he had. Um, when asked about, when asked how many premises he had, he didn't know. It sounded rather bad. On houses, John McCain, when asked his views, was like Imelda asked about her shoes. <laughs> um, and then we have this embedded poem called The Rhyme of the Ancient Candidate. John McCain adapts Samuel Coleridge's epic. You know at once that I am not some liberal elitist. I'm just a beer and burger guy who finds a cookout neatest. Unlike Barack, I would need arugula instead. So what if I'm a little long on spots in my head? Houses, houses everywhere, not one of them a shack. So many, it's not strange I have some trouble keeping track. Houses, houses everywhere, abodes in the amount, no short-term memories involved in failing to keep count. To folks who fear they'll lose a home as mortgage markets swerve, I have some practical advice. Keep six more in reserve. <laughs> then uh, there's a baseball, a basketball scout's updated report on uh, Barack Obama. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, this is after he got um, sort of answered back a little bit um, because people were afraid he was going to get sort of buried in the slime like Kerry. Um, a basketball. Uh, this was after he took his uh, big trip to to Europe and sank that three pointer. Um, a basketball scout's updated report on Barack Obama. He tries showy triples from way, way downtown. Those three-pointer types often play with restraint, but lately his outings have made us believe he'll do his own shoving when he's in the paint. So close in, he knows how to use an elbow. Yeah, now, yeah. 
that's what that. Um, the uh, uh, then there was uh, the conspiracy theory. Then the, I mean, I was one of the things that interested me in the, about this book is when you gave it to the publisher. I mean, at, to get it out. Now, um, I gave the bulk of it to the public. I, I wrote it mainly over the summer with the help of the internet to go back and refresh my memory. Uh, people like um, uh, uh, George Allen and remember Al Gore when everybody thought he was going to get slim and then he'd run. And, uh, <laughs> uh, the way to check that presidential niche is to see if he's still too big for his britches. And, uh, um, and, and um, I, so I, this was mostly over the summer, and I handed the bulk of the book in in the middle of September. Uh, so I was sort of stuck with what I wrote there. And then I handed it in in text. And I handed the last chapter in the Friday after the election. And uh, on the next Tuesday, they gave me a book. So, wow. Yeah, it was not the publishing industry I'm accustomed to. <laughs> uh, so they'd had a lot of it uh, set and ready. And then, of course, along the way, there were, you've got Sarah Palin uh, about the, uh, the truth of you know, denying, uh, what was it, it was about the, the ethics charge, was that it? Oh, uh, um, yeah, I think it was, it was about the bridge to nowhere where she just keeps, if you, no well, matter what right. you say, yeah, yeah. she just keeps repeating uh, what she said. It's an interesting uh, sort of rhetorical device. Um, <laughs> Oh, I think it's called the falsehood. Yes, I think some people would call it that. I, I think she used the same thing in the, in, the, in the debate. Remember when she said she wasn't necessarily, she told us that. She wasn't going to necessarily answer the question. She was going to go directly to the American people. Uh, the person who asked, asked the question was standing between her and the American people. So she didn't bother to answer the question. She just went directly to the American people. Um, I'm not quite sure where that one is. I saw it, and then it, and then there were others that. Uh, oh, here it is. Truth by repetition. Oh. Uh, Sarah Palin, via speeches in the press, via news accounts, discuss her position on the bridge to nowhere. I told them thanks, but no thanks. Palin said we'd rather pay for it ourselves instead. But here's a tape on which you clearly say you're for the bridge. The Federals should pay. I told them thanks, but no thanks, Palin said. We'd rather pay for it ourselves instead. You weren't opposed to it at all until the day that Congress made that project DOA. I told them, no th I told them thanks, but no thanks, Palin said. We'd rather pay for it ourselves instead. And then you thought it perfectly okay for you to take the money anyway. I told them thanks, but no thanks, Palin said. We'd rather pay for it ourselves instead. But, oh, skip it. <laughs> now, along the way, there's Sarah Palin's uh, clothing bills and so on and so forth. But I, I, would, I would love to, to just sort of have you read here from the top of page uh, 115 uh, to the end, if, if that's all right. October passed without the big surprise, and Democrats began to realize what caused this dread they'd felt from the beginning. They were, no doubt, in danger now of winning. <laughs> the polling looked consistently auspicious. It looked too good. That made them superstitious. They carried charms and made weird signs to try to stave off mischief from the evil eye. The pundits turned this period yet more frightening with knowing chats on how the race was tightening. 
More nervousness was there election night. Obamacans in clutches all sat tight to see if networks truly would project Obama as the president-elect. The fear that the election might be stolen could give a Democrat a spastic colon. <laughs> Despite his technical props, TV seemed slow in telling voters what they had to know. And then, almost abruptly, they could say, Obama is to lead the USA. McCain, a man whom admirals begat, now did him proud. His gracious speech showed that, however flawed the fall campaign he ran, he is himself a good and decent man. Obama spoke to thousands in Grant Park about the road on which we now embark, and many thought as he described that walk, yes, here's how presidents are meant to talk. The TV show, the dancing and the cheers and African Americans in tears, and foreigners from Rome to Yokohama were cheering an American, Obama. From this vote, they were willing to infer we aren't the people they had thought we were. And Lady Liberty, as people call her, is standing in the harbor somewhat taller. Then the last embedded poem is Race in America, November 5th, 2008. The curse is not broken, as some would deduce. The curse is so strong we may never break loose. But now, at this moment, we cling to the theme set forth by the man who said, I have a dream. That so brings tears to my eyes, you know, when I read it the first time. That's what I mean. It's, it's Homeric. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, and, it, and, and one of the things for me is, is knowing that in your early career, too, you were a journalist covered the civil rights movement in, in the American South. I mean, you have that story about the segregation that you grew up in, in Kansas City. And, um, I mean, what a, what a moving time and range of, of human events that you've, you've seen. Yeah, and, and I'm not sure that I was that I thought I'd ever see this. Um, I mean, the, when I think back of of the, the South in 1960, 61, when I was there, um, and when black people literally had to move off the sidewalk when white people came, um, it's it's um, it's hard to believe that that uh, that we've come this far. And uh, and as I said in the poem, it doesn't mean we're out of the woods, but um, it's a big thing when you think of a black family whose kid is born now and sees that the president is, is black. Um, you know, I can remember when uh, they said Adlai Stevenson couldn't run because he was divorced. Um, so we've come a long way. All right, so uh, once Obama is sworn in and he's president, uh, he will once again become fodder for the poet's pen. And are you working on rhymes? But one of the things I find that you do with your rhyming is that you sometimes put the candidate's name in the center of the line and you put something at the end of the line, which then... Or I occasionally use uh, middle names or, or maiden names. We don't call them maiden names anymore. We call them names of origin or slave names or something. Um, <laughs> but... Um, when, when George H.W. Bush left office, you know, Bush is not a good rhyme, but it rhymes with tush, but it's just, it's disrespectful, and I don't do that. Um, so, um, I'm glad you clarified that. And Homer didn't either, no. really. Right? Um, when he left office, uh, fortunately, he had a lot of middle names, so I did a poem that was uh, 
Farewell to you, George Herbert Walker, though never treasured as a talker. <laughs> Your predicates were often prone to wander nounless off alone. <laughs> You did your best in your own way, the way of Greenwich Country Day. So just relax and take your ease and never order Japanese. <laughs> Have you worked up an outgoing poem for the, the current George Bush? No. <laughs> I, I, I think there's a temptation to see, to say, as the English would say, glad to see the back of him. Um, but I'm sure I'll do something. I get sort of sentimental when they leave. I, I once wrote that every administration makes me a little nostalgic for the one that preceded it. I don't know if it's going to be true in this case. I wonder what sort of note he'll leave for the incoming president into the desk. He'll take all the O's off the typewriters. <laughs> Calvin Trillin, thank you very much. Deciding the next decider. 2008 president. Thank you. And that's today's West Coast Live here from the Freight this is Edge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live right here, and we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org.